Yeah, record your conversation, and then I can do some, like, um, oh, like just some drops for demo. you guys, you know, just kind of like, oh, that's really crazy, and you can just splice it in after you say so. <laughs> Absolutely f***ing not. Um, <laughs> as the person who edits this, I'm going to treble what Martha just said. Because <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today I am, um, uh, I, I'm debating whether I do my intros this or the stuck in my head is this, but I'm just going to say I am thoroughly enjoying having rewatched Spirited Away last night because that movie's adorable and amazing and lovely. Correct. But it's not what's going to be stuck in my head. Uh, joining me, as always, is my co-host. Martha Sullivan, Canadian TV enthusiast. Mm, what uh, Canadian TV? I assume you're talking oh, about the election I... results, which are happening right now. Which is oh yeah, if to we CBC. have any listeners in Canada, which would be wild, um, <laughs> I hope you voted today. <laughs> also, uh, email us. Yeah. Um, no, today I've, I've spent most of today enjoying the newest season of Schitt's Creek that is on Netflix. And also the newest season of Letterkenny, which is on Hulu. I've never heard of that second one. Have I not talked about Letterkenny on the show before? I don't think so. It's entirely possible. It's about a very small town in Canada. Um, it, it's like a Northern Exposure type mm. show. Um, it's very funny. <laughs> it's like small town backwoods humor. Yeah, yeah. Um, the newest season, I'm only a couple episodes in, is not as consistent mm. as the other seasons, but I like the characters enough to, to stick with it. It's So far, it's some very good jokes housed in not super great episodes. Ah, sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, I had another Canada-related thing, but uh, I'm blanking on it now, so we're just going to go ahead and introduce our guest. Uh, today, we are joined by our... Uh, guest, uh, return guest, friend of the show, and my brother, uh, Mark. Go ahead. All these things are true. Hello. Yes. Uh, how are you guys? <laughs> Doing good. Terrific. Well, we've already we've already talked. Oh dang! You just dropped out. That's true. We lost your audio. Who? You. Me? Yeah, we lost Perfect. your audio. Am I back? You're back. Okay. Did you hear my very good joke? Nope. No. Gotta do it again. <laughs> oh. I said, you've already heard about how we're fine. Now you have to tell us how you're fine. Oh, no. <laughs> it wasn't a very good joke. <laughs> That's a good joke. We're keeping it in. <laughs> Only if you also keep in all of this very awkward explanation that's happening. <laughs> Guys, we're already off to an excellent start for this episode. And phenomenal. <laughs> um, so this episode is going to be all about urban legends. I hope there's an urban legend about uh, the podcasters who couldn't start their episode properly and then got murdered by a hook man or something. Um, and if not, hopefully there won't ever be one. Um, but if before we got get... to the end of the episode <laughs> and realized oh GarageBand hadn't recorded anything. Oh uh, speaking of checking, yes, good, still recording. <laughs> Um, yeah, but before we get to those urban legends, that'd be a really good urban legend. Uh, it's only fair to share what is stuck in our heads this week. Um, this is just whatever it is that we're currently consuming or thinking about. So, uh, Martha, how about you take it, uh, first crack at it? Uh, well, listeners of the podcast know that I am obsessed with Mothra. Mm -hmm. Um, and <laughs> last night I finally watched Godzilla King of the Monsters where she makes her modern Godzilla debut. Uh, I had been led to believe that that movie was bad. Yes, by people like me. Uh, you're all liars. That movie owned. <laughs> I hope they make a million more. I thought it was perfect. Wow. I am glad that they, I'm glad that they did not have time for, for 
silly and consequential things like a story that made sense because when I'm watching a Godzilla movie, I do not have time for a story that makes sense. I just want to get to the monster fights and this movie delivered. I thought I, it was fantastic. I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie and thought to myself, I hope they make a million more of those. I would watch every single one. <laughs> oh my God. I thought there weren't enough monster fights. I thought they, they like dilly dallied for way too long getting to the monster fights. There was so much nonsense with like Monarch and, and whatever. Are you, are you also a person that didn't think that there was enough Godzilla in the last one? That's true. There was way too much Aaron Taylor Johnson in the last one. That's true. It's not true. (laughs) No, there was way too much Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But no, and I thought that Mothra was great. Um, Her whole deal is dying and coming back to life. So spoiler alert uh, for Godzilla King of the Monsters. (laughs) Um, I was not that upset when she died saving Godzilla because... Mm -hmm. I knew that by the end we would have another Mothra egg somewhere around. Um, yeah, I just thought it was super fun. I thought that um, Millie Bobby Brown was very charming. Mm-hmm. I thought the monster designs were great. Agreed. Um, dance was in this movie. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and I know it didn't get super great reviews, and I don't think it made a lot of money, but if they uh, decide to actually go ahead with the Skull Island Kong uh, sequel next year, I am down. I'm in for it. I think that's still on the books right now. I don't think they've canceled that yet, but yeah, and I think uh, it's a spring. Tell. Yeah, I think it's a spring 2020 yeah. release. I think it really depends on once they have a total of how well King of the Monsters did overseas. Mm. Yeah. Mark, what is stuck in your head? So the criteria here, is it what we most recently experienced or just generally no, welcome the to the new uh, podcast. Ooh, la, the la. old podcast. But instead of most recent, this is just whatever you want to talk about. Um, whatever I basically want to talk we, about. Martha and I kept gaming the system whenever it was most recent by immediately consuming before the episode whatever we wanted to talk about anyway um, I see. so we just got rid of that gimmick um i'm gonna roll with oh. that anyway cool. uh i just uh, i mean i'm bending the rules here but i'm gonna plus it don't worry bear with me here i just had some uh brown butter butternut squash soup that i made with my wife earlier Ooh. super tasty Thanks, it took us like two hours to make but it was one of those it was totally worth it and while we were list or while we were making it, excuse me, we were listening to early on um, "Diamond Dogs" by Bowie. Which, if you know me as a person, you know I'm an obsessive Bowie fan. And "Diamond Dogs" is like low key one of his best albums. It's very underrated. I feel mm. that was his like dystopian '70s uh, like concept album, right? Yeah, he, like Orwellian. Uh, he was making a stage musical adaptation of 1984, and then. Um, Orwell's... I'm sorry. That is a wild (laughs) sentence you just said. I know, I know. Um, Orwell's widow, I think, blocked him and said, you can't have the rights to this. And he was like, fine, I'm just going to make a studio album out of the stuff I made for this. It doesn't matter. And, uh, yeah, it's a crazy apocalyptic sci-fi concept album uh, that has some great songs on there. It's a great listen to because you're kind of experiencing some more niche Bowie songs here and there. And then it also just has Rebel Rebel on it, which is like obviously one of his biggest hits. Yep. Just kind of throws you off every time you hear it. Anyway, terrific album. Everyone should listen to it, especially around this time of year. It feels very sort of a little spooky and a little sort of like Halloween themed. Well, and like Diamond Dogs, the song is a great and popular, like famous Bowie song. Uh, relatively speaking, but you know, it's not like anybody walking down the street would recognize that one like Rebel Rebel, you know? Sure, yeah. No, they super would because it was in Moulin Rouge. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> for for certain values saying. of people walking down the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> you stop and you say, hey, have you seen Moulin Rouge? And they go, yes. And you say, okay, do you know Diamond Dogs? They're like, yes. Look, I'm just saying it got some pop, it got some popular media play because it was in a big budget musical movie. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, sidebar was, um, is it Dark Star or Black Star? Black Star. Black, Black Star. Was that on that stupid list of the top 200 albums of the decade? Yes, By it was. Pitchfork, yes. 
I don't want to okay. go into it further because I'll get mad about it. <laughs> I didn't read that list because I my best album of the decade came out in 2004. So I am not qualified at all to weigh in on those lists. Mark and I have already had an hour-long yelling argument about how the list is bad. Um, we both agree Thank that the list is bad. That. Thank you for keeping that off of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't thank us so soon. <laughs> right. But yeah, we, we got at least 40 minutes. We could yeah. shoehorn that in somewhere. It can still happen. <laughs> I was going to say, then I, I'll, I'll be right back, guys. <laughs> Tell me when. Uh, well, uh, what is stuck in my head this week is interesting because it's actually going to happen tomorrow. Um, but I'm thinking about it and, like, have consumed it in the past. Uh, so tomorrow I've got tickets to see uh, Samin Nusrat speak. Um, she is the author of Salt, Fire, Acid, Heat, a cookbook, and the creator and star of a netflix uh show of the same name um salt fat salt yes did i say fire you did Mm, well that would be the heat part so we're just doubling down on the heat Uh, (laughs) i forgive you uh, yes thank you uh salt fat acid heat um which is sort of the the her the structure of the book and the show and i assume of her talk uh is going to like that sort of like the four foundational building blocks of cooking you like can balance those out however you need so rather than thinking inherently in terms of ingredients uh in a dish you can think more in terms of like those intrinsic elements in a dish um it's really kind of helped my own cooking where it's like yeah this like i mean first i put salt in everything too much uh but then also thinking like yeah actually some acid would help balance this out throw some lemon juice in there now it tastes even better um so looking forward to seeing that uh speech tomorrow so yeah I haven't watched her Netflix show yet. Is Ooh, it fun? It's really fun. Um, she loves food. Like her, first off, she like speaks five languages or some nonsense like that. Um, each episode is based on a different culture. So fat is um, Italian. Um, salt, I think, is Japanese. Um, and then she's got uh, Mexican in there, I think, under the heat. Um, don't remember the acid. Uh, but like... She's there, like, talking to master miso makers or, like, master parmesan makers, all the rest of it. Um, She has, like, an absolute giddy enjoyment with food and with eating good food. Um, And it's definitely a sense of, like, it's very food positive uh, in the sense that it's, you know, it's like, you should appreciate and enjoy the food you're eating and not feel guilty for eating, like, rich, decadent food. Um, While also, like being very mindful of, like, where your food is coming from and, and striving for, you know, it's like not that you have to be getting the $100 Parmesan wheel, but, uh, you know, here's some things to know about oil that, like, will help you pick better oil at a reasonable price. Here's yeah, she was a... Oh, go ahead. Excuse me. She was a guest on another podcast I listened to called Forever 35, and mm. she was just lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she has, like, an infectious, happy, giddy excitement about whatever it is she's talking about um and a very good presenter for like you know food shows can be hard because it's like they are they are talking about the two senses that they literally cannot convey through the medium that we are watching it through uh, which is smell and taste um and i guess feel as well so like the three senses uh, that we don't get are what they are talking about and she does an excellent job of like describing it and making it sort of pop um when she, I've not, I've not seen or read anything about her. Honestly, I'm a total neophyte on this subject. When she says heat, does she mean spice or temperature? Uh, fire. Okay. Which is why I screwed up and said fire. Very good. <laughs> that is what is stuck in our heads. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking all about urban legends. are back so today we are talking all about urban legends and we have a very wide range of media to discuss uh we're going to be looking at a documentary about a actual urban legend that had tragic consequences we're going to be looking at a sort of 
classic slasher film from the 90s, and then we're going to be uh, looking at a delightful cartoon, which we were all very excited to see how it's connected to Urban Legends. Um, we're also going to be asking what is an urban legend and what relationship urban legends have to our pop culture um, and sort of have a wandering uh, conversation around urban legends and what they're doing. So, uh, Martha, let's start with you with the um, Slenderman documentary, Beware the Slenderman. So Beware the Slenderman was a documentary that HBO put out in 2016 about the um, 2017 or 2014 uh, incident where two 12-year-old girls uh, stabbed a friend of theirs 19 times um, in relation to try in relation to trying to connect with the fictional character of Slenderman. Um, I'm going to back up real quick before we get into that uh, to talk to give us a little bit of context. Uh, Slenderman was the creation of somebody in response to a creepypasta uh, internet meme, basically a a contest that the creepypasta website had to create a modern urban legend. And creepypasta is like just like a horror weird website, right? Like a message board. Yeah, it's a message board where people can write their own, um, like, modern-day horror stories. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is set up to uh, resonate as though it is true. I'll, I mean, it's it's not. Um, but, like, you can present your stories as though they are actual, um, you know, supernatural things that happen to you. Um, I believe Sci-Fi created the anthology show around some more famous creepypasta stories. Um, Their first season, the was about their first season was based on the pirate cove story. You guys probably don't spend as much time in the creepypasta wiki as I do. Oh, Um, (laughs) yeah. So anyway, the monster in pirate cove, what's the name of that one? The pirate cove was the, the weird TV show that had the creepy puppets. That's not old Greg, is it? Or Candle Cove, I thought, wasn't it? Candle Cove. There you go. Um, but yeah, the poster for that season was like a, a child that was covered completely in overlapping teeth. It was very upsetting. Um, mm. So yeah, Creepypasta had a contest, I ran a photo uh, Photoshop contest, um, and a user uh, nicknamed Victor Surge submitted a couple of Photoshopped images of that contained his creation, uh, Slenderman, who is depicted in those photos as a tall, a uh, tall male-looking humanoid in a black suit with a completely white-out face, um, and he uh, he got kind of adopted by the internet. Uh, he now appears in across multiple pop culture um, artifacts. Uh, his myth has grown into being a character that, like, steals children. Um, he creeps into your home. Sometimes he has tentacles. He's a very kind of malleable boogeyman-type character. Um, and these two girls got very into his whole online mythos um, to the point of delusion uh, and ended up stabbing a friend of theirs who did live uh they did not kill her Mm -hmm. um but both of them were both of them basically received um i believe one of them was sentenced 25 to life and one of them was sentenced 40 years to life uh in the care of um psychiatric facilities um i was not super impressed by the quality of this documentary um, I think the incident itself is really sad and awful and scary, and I thought that the documentary at times leaned a little too heavily on the internet is evil and corrupting our children. Yeah. It it simultaneously felt like it didn't have a strong thesis, so it felt, like, loosely disconnected in a way. Um, but then when it did have a strong opinion, the opinion was that the internet is dangerous. Um, which kind of makes sense because like following the stabbing, there was a moral panic and like, you know, people like literally the, uh, sheriff of the, um, 
uh, of Waukesha said, like, this should be a wake-up call that, quote, the internet is full of dark and wicked things, unquote. Um, so that's, you know. And it for sure is. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and parents should be cautious of it, but, like, also... Well, and it's important to note as well that um, one of the girls was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, gosh, uh, the, I mean, at the very least, on some basic level, the other girl was deeply um, antisocial to the point of routinely becoming very upset during class and not really having many friends in general. Um, I thought it was compelling in the very least that it, it I don't know. I actually found the documentary very resonant. I think I agree with you guys that the thesis was kind of a little bit uh, two different things happening at the same time. But at the very least, just the the sort of patient portrayal of uh, the sort of people dealing with this stuff and that there wasn't a, I don't know, Michael Moore style uh, character made of the documentarian who was coming in all the time and being like, I wasn't quite satisfied with what was happening, so mm-hmm. I had to go further, you know, any of that nonsense That's happening. That's true. Mm-hmm. Or even yeah. Sarah well, Kane the comparison there, you know. I thought that the girls were both treated pretty sympathetically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, particu- particularly Morgan, who is the one whose mom was like, who gets to basically find out in real time that her daughter has delusions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that she just didn't talk about before because she's 12 and 12 year olds aren't used to talking about like real feelings. I mean like many like normal 12 year olds frequently have a tenuous grasp on like reality and consequences and things. So, well, yeah. And even just like the sort of extremely, um, and very unsettlingly, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, uh, interview footage in this documentary of the girls just after they'd been brought into custody. And I, I worked at an elementary school for a couple of years back in college. And I like it, it, it was kind of an echo of these girls. Like I knew girls just like this who were, you know, kind of nerdy and sort of kept to themselves, but also were very performative, very sort of behavioral, very sort of always um, acting in a sort of theatrical capacity. Um, that, that sort of uh, almost game style behavior feels like it is sort of, echoed out into this thing, which then escaped both of them. Um, but I, again, that sort of behavior you would never read as uh, schizophrenia unless you were taking a proper diagnosis of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen this documentary before. Um, I picked it for this topic because I was really interested in how it, how it um, talks about the cre- like basically the real time creation of an urban legend mm-hmm. because i feel like a lot of the urban legends we sort of talk and think about have been around for a long time and this is one where we know exactly where it came from but it still has taken over our our pop culture consciousness to the point where you know something like this can happen you know with it with with a character that i i'm sure that I don't know. This part is a little tricky to talk about because I'm not a, I'm not a mental health professional, but like you can, you can track the history of Slenderman. Like there's, there's no, like some guy died and now his ghost haunts. Right. Whatever. Um, He was murdered by bees. Yeah, well, but there's also clearly something about this character that has seized in our pop culture consciousness. Like he's he's in Minecraft. Like he shows up everywhere. <laughs> well, that's that's actually an interesting point because the inception of the character was um, that he was inserted into history. You know, the entire the, the terror appear appeal of the character was that. Oh, like that, those are photoshops. Yeah, old black and white photographs, and you would see them in the background, you know, almost to imply that there's been this fabricated history of years and years and years of Slenderman, or Slenderman, Slenderman, Slenderman sightings um, uh, that have, you know, dominated uh, culture for years. And to stumble upon something like that at a young age, I can't uh, imagine the sort of impact that would have on you. I was mm-hmm. going to say that he's the first mimetic 
urban legend, but that's not true because that's I what think urban, urban legends, legends are. Yeah, they're literally yeah. memes. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I is I think it'd be fair to say that he's the first internet urban legend. Um, that that's really mostly true. Yeah. Like created by the internet, not just spread by the internet. Yeah. And I'm using internet kind of like capital I is like the denizens of the internet as a collective. Yeah, internet culture proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and he exists because of the internet. Or did you, is that what you just said? It kind of, like, that's wrapped up in what I was saying, but I was also getting at something a little bit larger, which was like he was create like he exists because of the internet, but also was created by internet culture and like the internet as mm-hmm. a as an entity. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, just the very inception being a, a Photoshop contest on the something awful, right? Like that right there is very capital I internet. Mm-hmm. And like, you, you know, you, you just mentioned something awful and that is a board I have not thought of in a long time. Um, sure. like he's been around for a while. Um, mm-hmm. you know, 10 even, years. Yeah. Even before <laughs> well, like this all was going on. The 2008 is when, is when it was created. So like is when Wikipedia is telling me it was created. Sure. So like, for like he was around for six years before like this incident took place. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Um. Anything else we want to say specifically about the documentary? Why do we Why do we think he has permeated our pop culture so thoroughly? Because I'm I'm sure He's that real creepy looking. Yeah, it's a great design. Yeah. Yeah, but also. I feel like he can't be unique in like, what is it? What is it about him? Cause he's not the only creepy story you can find. Like creepypasta is full of weird stuff, but nothing has, that has kind of captured the collective unconscious or the collective conscious the same way that he has. I, I think part of it is that he hits the zeitgeist very well. Like it's a, a faceless white person in a suit. Like that's the same appeal as like the agents in the matrix. Um, yeah. And the suit thing is really a big part. I feel, as you said, of the, the sort of the time it was created in. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, white, tall white dudes in suits, bad. Um, but Who'd like, have thought? right. <laughs> um, but also like the, the, the suit also helps the like sort of ageless quality. Cause like that, specific like conservative black suit that he's wearing doesn't look terribly out of place in like you know 1920 so sure. when you do do that like historical photoshop contest it's not like you know some like tentacle monster where it's like well that's clearly not real it's like no that could be there that could be then mm-hmm. um so i like those are you know i'm sure like small pegs of reasons why rather than like those are not like defining your reasons why well, I, I think that that timelessness is probably a lot of it, though, because when you think about the urban legends that kind of persist, a lot of them can be pretty easily altered to reflect whatever time period you want to be scaring. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a lot of our urban legends are, are things like, say, you know, Bloody Mary in the Mirror three times or like, you know, you're out in the woods and you're telling the story about like the crazy killer who's in the woods. Um and those are things where it's like you can conjure that, like you're saying, Martha, to fit like whatever time period you're in. Like Crazy Killer in the Woods in the 50s is going to look different than Crazy Killer in the Woods in the aughts, but not that different. And also the idea, like the, the kernel of that idea is very strong. I think mm-hmm. there's something to be said, too, about how much the design itself, and I don't think this was intentional by the creator, but um, it's such a tabula rasa, you know, a total blank slate that it's very easy for people to get in on the idea and play around with it, you know? Because, like, Slenderman can be a tall, thin man with no face, or maybe sometimes he's got a big, toothy mouth, or maybe sometimes he's got tentacles, or maybe sometimes he's 30 feet tall, or maybe sometimes he's floating, you know? Mm-hmm. The fact that he's so anonymous-looking... Normal skinny makes... versus, like, impossibly skinny. Yeah, yeah. You, you can really, again, kind of stretch that design quite a bit and put it into your own sandbox and do your own stuff with it, if you so choose. I would love to know at what point the tentacles entered the picture. Yeah, right. Because that's the part. That's the part that's like what? <laughs> like, are they tentacles or are they just black wavy energy lines? Right, and then even like just doing a cursory Slenderman Google search for images, you got energy lines, you got tentacles. I see like almost praying mantis claws. You see like just a whole litany of different interpretations of this visual. Well, and then this this very true, very sad story of these two girls also kind of has a lot of 
the markers of something that could become an urban legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was that sort of chilling bit at the end where they were showing fan art of the girls, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was like Which is insane. Wild. Yeah. Um, really, really creepy. But at the same time, like, I, I don't mean to be making a direct comparison, but like, we're really fascinated with morbidity um like it it doesn't surprise me that there are people who would kind of seize on this story the way that they did Mm -hmm. and on the other hand like i could see any of us you know as high schoolers being into it like into slenderman as like a real thing but as a like hey you like see this creepy thing um Oh it, my god! But, but I would have like, been all—I would have been all over that. Right, right. That's—that's right. I, that's what kept kind of like uh, picking it, like the sort of proverbial scab for me. Is just like, oh my god! Like, again, like I've known kids like this. Like I probably was a kid like this. Just like how domestic it all seemed, and for it to have been spiraled out like that is just like, extremely just sad and chilling, as I said previously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I—I I, I think that's that's a, like a, a big part of it is the idea where it's like. Up until they went and stabbed someone, it was a kind of normal childhood like fixation on on something. Um, what uh, the, yes. the the mother said she it's like you know when she was her daughter's age she was like you know bringing it back from the library and we were literally mm-hmm. just talking about that like a month yep. ago Martha where it's like yeah that's like about the age when some kids start getting into like it and and Stephen King and creepy Boston and stuff like that and for most of those kids that's totally fine. Um, cause I think it is good to be scared, uh, like yeah. as, as kids in, in a safe and, and healthy way. Um, but then, you know, in this one particular incident that ended like tragically. Well, should we segue onto uh, uh, some, yeah. some yeah. fictional urban legends? <laughs> yeah. Pete, why don't you tell us about, uh, about a fictional yeah. depiction of an urban legend all right uh so i assigned the 1992 uh horror movie Candyman, um set and shot in chicago uh which was a big reason i chose it also uh jordan peele's looking to i'm not sure if he's doing a remake or a sequel or something but he's in talks to uh, continue this story somehow um, um I, I believe uh he is producing a sequel and i believe it's already been shot actually what oh yeah. cool all right i think i was reading that um Peter, keep up. Uh, apparently, yeah. I wonder if Philip Glass is going to come back and do the score. Oh, um, you know he is. <laughs> um, Candyman is about a um, graduate student at the University of Illinois, Chicago, who's researching urban legends. Uh, and she um, finds out the local story of the Candyman. If you say his name in the mirror five times, he comes and kills you. Um, this legend, she, she traces it back and finds its roots in a... Uh, um, series of, I think it was like serial killings in Cabrini Green, which was a housing project in Chicago on the north side, uh, since been torn down. Um, she foolishly says Candyman's name in the mirror five times, and he begins following her and, and either causing her to murder people or murdering people, and she gets pinned uh, for these murders. I think there's a nice little confusion about what's exactly happening because she keeps blacking out. Um, and we find out that Candyman uh, was a uh, black man from, I guess, uh, his around the Civil War era, um, fell in love with a white woman, got lynched uh, horrifically be, uh, because of it, um, and now his ghost is haunting the area around where he was killed. I think uh, that's all I'll say in terms of uh, summary of the movie. Yeah, had, like, I had actually never seen it before. I assigned it because I knew it was all about urban legends. Also, it's October. We got to have some horror movies in here. Um, also shot in Chicago and looked like 90s Chicago. So um, before we yeah. continue further, can we just all confirm that none of us are looking in a mirror? Because I assume we're going to say the title a couple more times. Uh, I'm looking that at a window, a... which is a reflection. Ooh. So I'm going to call that. Yeah. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't I'm... say it like. Just don't say it five times in sequence. Mm-hmm. You put a space between the two words verbally. Right. Right. Yeah. Candy. Or like another man. word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Candy um, the man. But yeah. I had not seen this movie before. Um, I was familiar with it because 
I don't remember which scene it is specifically, but one of the scenes shows up in Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments mm. uh, film series, which continues to be my very favorite uh, TV miniseries special. It aired for the first time like 10 years ago. I would buy it in a box set if Bravo would let me. <laughs> um, but yeah, this... Uh, do we do we want to mention that this movie is based on the like real in our world um bloody mary myth yes yes uh and bloody mary you say it three times correct okay Um, five is insane by the way i was i was thinking that too ridiculous person three is the magic number it's for beetlejuice it's for bloody mary you Uh know or you can go with seven or nine like those are good numbers of power but like five who does five well, five is a decent number of power, but just saying something five times is too many. Like, seven and nine are certainly too many times. I don't know. Yeah, you got to commit to those. Well, Candyman doesn't really roll off the tongue the same way. Exactly. And saying Candyman, dot, 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 Candyman, dot, dot, dot. Can't, like, you get, like, a nice exclamation point at the end, as opposed to this, which is Candyman, 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 Candyman. One more in there, too. You know? I, I I will say this. Almost <laughs> almost every single time uh, they they were saying his name in the mirror, I like literally lost count as to how many times they had said it. Exactly, like, wait, was that exactly. four or five? Hold on. Um, but yeah, so I, I had not seen this movie before. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I was initially concerned about what the movie was going to be saying about race, and then yeah. I realized that that was like the whole point of the movie, and I got much less concerned. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that the movie uh, did not have a very good opinion of the fact that Virginia Madsen was just walking into spaces that were not hers. Yeah. Um, That the, you know, I I don't think she was punished for that, but the movie definitely calls her out for that kind of sense of entitlement that she has, um, particularly when she's initially exploring the apartment. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like you that's not like these are people's lives that you're um, appropriating for your research project. Um, But again, I think that that was intentional. Um, I I thought the movie was just going to be like, and this is fine. And it was not. It was not fine. I also appreciated that at the end of the movie, Helen gets to be an urban legend herself. (laughs) Like that. That kind of owned, actually. I like. I'll. I'll give it that. I, this movie. Have you guys seen um, Hellraiser, the other Clive Barker series? Yes, and, I've read the book. I haven't seen the movie. And and Mark, you you bring that up. This is based on a Clive Barker short story. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like yes. Um, as far as I'm concerned, his whole bit. It's a much like Stephen King's thing, where he comes up with these compelling, bizarre, extreme, horrific scenarios and characters. And the story itself doesn't make a lick of sense, in my opinion. The, like, the, the basic mechanics are very sort of like, okay, so he's Candyman. And he's called that because, well, sometimes there's candy around him. And he was killed by bees, so sometimes there's bees around him. And he's got a hook for a hand. And he wants you to be his victim because you're disgracing his name, because you're investigating his myth. But also you said his name in the mirror, but also now... He's still in a baby. There's like 20 different things happening and none of them line up at all whatsoever, but they are kind of fun to listen to and watch. That's oh yeah. You just, I I don't think you can look too hard in a movie like this for internal consistency or logic. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are plenty of movies that have good internal consistency or logic that are also eighties, you know, like even something like the original Halloween or even, even like nightmare on Elm Street has some level of logic, you know, Freddy's a dream monster and you can only get dream. They all have one thing that is always true, and that's true for Candyman, too. You say his name five times, he shows up and he kills you. Mm-hmm. Except for when he doesn't, and then shows up hours later in a parking lot, and then wants you to be his weird murder accomplice, well, and then wants to kill I mean, you in a I, I, I think fire? that I, I think he, he was uh, targeting her because like she was... Uh, ruining his legend, ruining his myth. And if people forgot, like, if people stopped thinking about him and stopped fearing him, he would no longer, like, live on through memory. This this movie is very interesting. Like, there was a, a interesting through line where it's almost like the idea of immortality through memory, and uh, that sort of gets back to the idea of, like, urban legends as, like, the original meme. Um, 
uh, obviously Ooh, because back she's on topic. yeah, uh, like because she uh, the, the main character is like a researcher in urban legends and stuff. Um, like urban legends come up a lot as like ideas and tropes, and I think that like that's th- this is not only a slasher movie but one that's actively interested in the idea of the stories that we tell around slashers um and and you know murders and i i think it is always true that the strength of a story like we saw this when we talked about fairy tales the the stories that have power are the ones that are remembered Mm -hmm. like urban legends urban legend urban legends only exist so long as people continue to talk about them Mm -hmm. um you know that that is how that is how Slenderman has his like that's where he gets his power by the fact that people keep talking about him and i appreciated that this movie very directly confronted that kind of aspect of like the the folktale the the um the fairy tale the urban legend like they only have power they only have the power that we give them by perpetuating them right and by but then like yeah. not, not not believing them but by being willing to be scared by them because you know like like the bloody mary story is like traditionally told at like sleepovers and whatnot with like people turning off the lights and like intentionally scaring themselves um but would, would her investigation into Candyman not further propagate his whole shtick well no because she was telling people like she was she was providing people logical explanations for the things that they had been attributing to she this was, mythological construction. Yeah, she was sciencing like a ghost. When she told the little boy, when she told the little boy, like he doesn't exist, that takes away the that takes away Candyman's power because it means that that's one less person who believes in him. But does something like the Slenderman documentary? Uh, does that say that word again? Uh, <laughs> I, I was willing to let it roll with it, but documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, does that not contribute to the the idea of Slender Man? Like, does that not continue to propagate that idea? Like, the best way to kill an idea is to con- completely stop talking about it. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I think the the Slender Man doc- documentary is working to depower the myth, which is absurd because again, we all know that he's fake. Um, but by but by kind of walking through the creation of the urban legend and showing how it works in the context of the internet, you're you're taking something kind of supernatural and mythological and giving it a giving it not only a basis in reality but showing the reality where it isn't real. So like I think that Candyman gets very upset with Helen because she's showing people that he's not real that there's a logical and real world explanation for the things that are happening which takes away his power so even if people are talking about him they're talking about him in a context where he is ineffective i i uh agree with martha and i think that that also like hits at the idea of so many of the urban legends are about like about the unexplained or or the supernatural in one way or the other um or they're just told by like you know a a chain of storytelling which is impossible to confirm Uh, you know my uncles brothers dentists whatever um and i think all that like leads a lens of of mystery and uncertainty to it and once you shine the light of science as it were on the ideas they sort of lose some of that like power behind them and they they stop being scary um you turn the lights on and the house isn't spooky anymore kind of situation but in the story of Candyman, Candyman is real and if you say his name in the mirror he will come and kill you yeah what it's a horror movie sometimes uh (laughs) things don't make sense i'm just saying like you can you can spend a whole day explaining like oh intellectually see this isn't a real thing but like he's still a murderous ghost who can't be stopped i guess i don't know again there's a weird logic to, and like her becoming an evil ghost at the end as martha said pretty cool but also why was that um she becomes a vengeance spirit. because no because she let him she let Candyman bring her into his myth now she That's, gets to I mean, live she forever spends, she spends the whole movie building the myth of helen 
like because she's building because she's being blamed for all of these murders right she's she's becoming like new candy the murderer the the murderous figure of cabrini green like she's the murderous white woman who stole the baby in cabrini green but and then, if you say her name five times in the mirror, she'll totally come and kill you. But then she <laughs> like, emerged how... from the fire with the baby and gave it back, and everybody said, oh, man, we're so sorry you died. Yeah, I, I kind of took her I more would... as, like, an avenging spirit because, like, she kills her husband. Yeah. Uh... Oh, yeah, I would. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, and I, I haven't seen any of the sequels, Same. but are there sequels? Yes, There's there like must be. two of them, I think, yeah. The second movie is a classic uh um, Clive Barker, Candyman, farewell to the flesh. Uh, and I guess she's back in it, maybe? Maybe not. Oh, uh, dang. Yeah. T- Tony Todd's back in it, so, um, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure this is a series where you have a, uh, falling off a cliff of diminishing returns. All right, well, let's, let's go to our third, uh, homework. Um, Mark, tell us about your homework and tell us why you assigned it. All right, I assigned the 2014 Cartoon Network limited series Over the Garden Wall. Um, it is a just delightful, strange little 10-episode jaunt um, uh, created by, I want to say, Patrick McHale um, and uh, featuring um, assortment of excellent voice actors, uh, notably among them Elijah Wood, Christopher Lloyd, John Cleese, uh, Tim, Curry. Tim Curry, yeah, um, and um, um, Melanie Linsky. She's in there too. A bunch um, of like blues singers, like bluegrass, jazz type. Yeah, types. yeah, really interesting. Um, Chris Isaac is in there. Yeah. Um, anyway, it tells the story of Greg and Wirt, two boys wandering through what is called the unknown, which is sort of a strange pastiche of a lot of american folktale iconography uh they're trying to get home and uh a lot happens from there um why did you assign this as an urban legend i know that uh both when we were kicking around ideas i had not seen this to completion uh martha had and we both were like if you got a take on this let's do it but curious what your (laughs) take on it's gonna be my first take was you guys should watch Over the Garden Wall. Which, Martha, good job, having watched it already. Pete, you should have finished it years ago. <laughs> that, that, um, that's true. Uh, uh, Mark uh, had me watch the first two or three episodes years ago, and I was like, this is really good, and I had not seen it since. Oh, yeah. There is there is imagery from this show that I have contemplated getting tattooed on my body. Like, the this show people is, are amazing. This show is wholly my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, I think my take as far as an urban legend goes... Um, it's more about the aesthetic than it is about the sort of mimetic storytelling value in that it, I think really beautifully articulates a lot of, um, old storytelling feeling, uh, which is to say strange urban legend style folk tales that, were once very prominent perhaps at some point and have completely fallen out of the public knowledge and it articulates them in such a way that is uh, somewhat bewildering because it feels so whole cloth as if the animators and artists on this show like live in that time and are able to just be like yeah a whole town full of pumpkin people who are skeletons and you know really digging from this rich vein of you know 1920s cartooning and even old scary stories like Sleepy Hollow and stuff like that in a way that you don't see very often in the media frontier these days. I'm, I'm glad um, you... So I have a couple of very quick observations that I want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I think that I would classify the show as a whole in more of the folk horror vein rather mm-hmm. than the urban legend vein. Um, but it's in either the second or the third episode when they're in the tavern and we're they're mm, mm-hmm. singing the songs and the one of the people in the tavern sings a song about the beast mm-hmm. um and they get like half the details about the beast wrong mm-hmm. which was a really interesting moment for me because it is 
So they're passed from person to person, and sometimes details change. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the moment when I was kind of like, oh, I get it. Because even though the beast is real, a lot of, like, what he's about and what he's doing is um, not clear to anybody. So everybody has kind of their own story about, like, what he's doing and what he's about, including the woodsman who is working very closely with him. Like he doesn't even know the kind of truth around what is going on. He has this, the story that the beast has built for him that he perpetuates. Um, but it's still like losing details in the telling. Um, so that, that kind of, that kind of was the moment where I was like, Oh, I get it. I, the, the couple moments for me were at the end when you realize big spoilers, uh, for a two-hour cartoon that you should have already watched. Um, <laughs> when you realize that, like, Wirt and Greg are from, like, our world, and they're dressed up that way for Halloween. Like, oh, mm. Greg is an elephant, and Wirt <laughs> is a wizard. Um, <laughs> and, because it's Halloween. Uh, and, like, the, you know, um, the kids and, and the girl he's interested in are, uh, like, in the graveyard telling spooky stories, and he's running away from a cop, and that's what puts him over the garden wall in a very like Neil Gaiman-y kind of idea of don't go over the wall. Um, but like that t- kind of reconceptualized the entire story. Cause when it, when you think it's just, you know, he's, th- they're both dressed rather like funnily and kind of old fashionedly. And when you think of it as like a sort of medieval or, or not medieval, but like grim era storytelling, you think of it as one thing, but then when you realize that it's sort of like a modern story, it sort of puts it in a different valence. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I was thinking of when watching this with the thought of urban legends is, and I'm glad you mentioned Sleepy Hollow and like, you know, Ichabod Crane. Urban legends, I think, are really just like the modern day folktale, like not fairy tale, but more like the grim style folktale or like the, the Sleepy Hollow kind of folktale. Um, because you can totally like, you, you get the sense that all those tales were told then in the same way that we tell urban legends now, like they sort of filled the same niche. So it's it's kind of a question of like, where do you draw that dividing line between an urban legend and a folk tale other than just modernity? Um, mm. But then where- I was where... just gonna ask, is the difference between a folk tale and an urban legend just how old it is? Possibly, but then the question is like, where is the modernity like uh, divider line? Like is something from the fifties? I feel like that's more of an urban legend thing. Cause you've got like the, the mad hitchhiker and like the ghost truck driver or whatever. Um, but then what about the 20s? Because you could still have a ghost truck driver then, um, but that kind of doesn't feel the same sense of, of modernness. Is it literally just an urban-rural split? Like, if it takes place in the woods... Uh, and it's, it's folk. It's, it's a folk tale, right. Uh, except for all the stories of, like, I mean, the mad killer in the woods when you're out camping. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be glib, but I kind of think that that's what it is. Like... It, it almost feels like as soon as technology of any kind enters the picture, we are now in an urban legend. Mm-hmm. And when there isn't any, it's a folktale. Mm-hmm. But is that just is that just trappings of setting? Because I wouldn't argue there's an inherent um, modern or technological aspect to something like Candyman, right? That, that story could have been told 100 years ago. It would have been the exact same way. In fact, I was thinking while watching The Garden of the Wall, the Beast is almost weirdly similar to Candyman. He's taking people's souls or personal property and you know striking weird deals with them that sort of thing and do they do they talk about him being summoned if you call his name Uh, no he just sort of (laughs) literally runs around the forest singing can i just say that the creepiest aspect of the beast is that he talks like a perfectly normal dude (laughs) yeah (laughs) but with an amazing deep baritone voice Uh uh-huh Man, the, the voice act, like, all the deep voices in the show were so good. Um, yeah. Also, random aside, I love the beast. I, I love the twist of, like, the lantern is actually his soul, but he entrusts it to other people and then makes him do bad things um, because, like, he convinces them that it's some some other soul. Uh, that's just, that's really good storytelling. Yeah. Um, right? He'd have to keep it burning himself otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, getting back to urban legends, like, I, I think part of it is... Part of it, I think, is the setting. Like, if it, if you are in a city, it doesn't matter what time period it is. Like, if it's Victorian London, Jack the Ripper, 
is an urban legend. He's not a folktale. Um, well, no, Jack the Ripper was an actual murderer. He was also a demon from hell or something. Uh, <laughs> All of these well, no, can be true. Like somebody actually, right. but, like, like someone getting, actually right. killed people. Right, right, right. But like, but like then, then the stories that grew up around that became yes. something more. And like, and that I think would be classified as an urban legend, um, rather than a folktale. Uh, I don't know that I'm comfortable calling an actual murder an urban legend. Okay, fair, fair enough. Bad example. Um, but like a similar event that were to happen in in Victorian era London. I think we would call an urban legend rather than a folktale. Well, um, and all, all the like murderers in the woods. The, and an urban legend is that when you have someone like Jack the Ripper, it's not just a story. My uncle's friend's brother told me one time. Like there, there is a traceable origin and like actual events that occurred rather than stories that people have told each other. But then is not not the same thing as Slenderman? No, Slenderman's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we are presupposing in this episode that he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying there's there's an objective line of, you know, Slenderman was created on this Photoshop contest in 2009. We know where he comes from. Yes. Therefore, yes. because there's no, oh, my dad's cousin's friend told me about this, is it still an urban legend? Yes, because it's fake. Mar- Martha is saying like, that Jack the Jack Ripper, Ripper Jack the Ripper was a real murderer. Well, but uh, like, yes, Slenderman. Slenderman is just an urban legend that we can trace the, um, the origin to like the person who created it. That's different from we can trace this to the actual murderer who committed the crimes. Right. I just best but I'm not I'm not quibbling over that distinction. I'm I'm um outlining something like Bloody Mary. I mean I guess I could do a very quick wiki search, but I don't know if we know where that stems from. You know, that's just sort of a weird old idea that kids somehow got into. Whereas right. Slender Man's like, oh yeah, we know where it's from. It was from this two thousand eight website. Well well and I, I do think that there's some validity in the idea of like because he is because he was a creation that was created because he was a thing that was created as sort of an illustration of what an urban legend is. I, I think the fact that he has since taken on such a strong life of his own, Hmm. whereas if, if he had just been like, I made this for a Photoshop contest and then no one ever talked to him again, talked about him again. Um, I, I don't know that he would fit in the category, but the fact that, beyond that kind of genesis point he's developed a life of his own yeah but so I'm now like I, I, I was going to push that even further where like since he's since we argued earlier that he's like sort of the internet's first urban legend that like really kicked on of course we have the the chain of documentation leading to his origination because he's the first internet like urban legend creation um whereas the you know alligators in the sewers or, or bloody mary or like you know chainsaw murder in the woods or whatever those are always th- those had been stories told orally um but now we've hit the 21st century so the stories are being like th- those same networks that would be around a campfire and which like become harder to trace orally um have a digital record that we can go back and discover sure what i'm still circling back to is it's strange to even encounter something like slenderman that is a modern urban legend that is traceable to a source. Again, Bloody Mary, I did do a wiki search on it. There's no known history of exactly where that comes from. It's just a weird story that people have told through errors, as we've said orally. And again, it is, we kind of covered this a little bit already, but that there's now a digital record of this thing. Like, how can an urban legend exist when there's a digital record of where it comes from, you know? Well, and I think that the key to that is that it wasn't intended to become that. Sure. Well, I mean, like, regardless like of intention, it, I'm still like, I, I was Bloody Mary intended to be what that was? No one knows. There's no history to it. Does Wiki no. say when it started? No. Mm-hmm. It just cites it as being like a uh, like a piece of folklore that exists. Like I mean, I, like I Mary think Kay that... West or something. Anyway. I think Slenderman exists as an urban legend because the internet said, yes, we will take him. <laughs> <laughs> One for him, please. Yes. 
I mean, if, if the internet hadn't decided, like, okay, we're in love with this guy and we're going to start telling our own stories about him, then he wouldn't have been. He, like, he, he would have fallen into the same memory hole as, I'm sorry, Martha, Magical Trevor, or, like, similar internet memes that, like, pop for a while and then kind of disappeared, except for, you know, people of certain ages who remember it. Wow, Martha's just furious at that comparison. <laughs> silent, no, I just... silent fury. Honestly, my, my entire brain was blank because it had to play the Magical Trevor theme song. <laughs> all the way through. You summoned it, Pete. <laughs> like, but, but that's all a reference to, like, we get. Um, because we were all, like, extremely online during that time period. Um, but, like, you know, it, it then went away down the internet memory hole. Um, and, and like, it didn't have a 10 plus year lifespan. True. I mean, Magical Trevor also doesn't really have a real, like a, or a, um, raison d'etre. Like there's no world and there's no world in which Magical Trevor exists in like reality. Right. He's a little animated dude. Right. <laughs> He's not being photoshopped into like the battle of the psalm. Um, right. Right. Uh, honestly, I picked that because that was the first uh, meme that that I could think of that like didn't have a ten year lifespan. I mean, I've been using I've been using a magical Trevor reference as my internet handle for fifteen years, sixteen years, yeah, sixteen yep. or seventeen years. <laughs> now. Too long. So, <laughs> I think I think Mark, the short answer is. I don't know what it is about Slenderman that made him special to the internet, but something did, and that is that is what determined his urban legend status. Sure, yeah. And I like I, I, I can fully believe that as for like all urban legends. Like I'm sure there are many campfire ghost stories that are told that just kind of don't go anywhere because they're not that good, or like they're spooky, but they're not. You know, they don't hit that particular like cocktail to really like you know stick in the psyche um whereas things like bloody mary or slender man or, or whatever do sure um I mean, martha you're talking about like images from over the garden wall and like for me it's the uh, the pumpkin people where i'm like yeah that like that image will stay with me for sure mm. uh because it's it's do me a favor potent. do me a favor peter Go read Harvest Home by Thomas Treon. Okay. It is a full horror book that will wig your uh, that will wig you completely mm. out. Mm. But if you enjoyed if you enjoyed the pumpkin people in Over the Garden Wall, then I think you'll dig it. But like I liked the pumpkin people. <laughs> they were creepy, but they were my friends. <laughs> I don't um, want them yeah, to eat nothing, me. Yeah, nothing about this book is your friend. <laughs> uh. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to end with a book recommendation. Um, So, uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, Any social medias you want people to find you on? Any uh, projects or things you want to plug? Oh, gosh. I mean, if you're so inclined, you can search my first and last name as one word, all capitals usually rendered, just Mark Romberg. That's pretty much my tag across any social media. I post some good cat pictures. I post bands I see. I make occasional jokes on Twitter. That's about it. Nothing nothing that interesting. Um, cat videos in addition to cat pictures. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I have much in the way of active projects that I want to put out there into the world, but uh, suffice to say, keep your eyes peeled and your ears open, because who knows? Cool. <laughs> uh well you, you can uh you can find the podcast at uh twitter at dydyh podcast and you can also find us on instagram at that same handle thanks to martha for running that account um you're welcome you can also find us on facebook by searching did you do your homework on the facebook search option uh if you're still using facebook um which is bad uh you can also none e- of us should be yes you can <laughs> i uh, mean facebook also owns instagram so uh, you know uh, Break up big tech. Um, you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. And since you're already listening to this, you know where to hear us. But tell your friends about the show. Rate and review us, please. That's how the social media gremlins um, 
push us around, I guess. Uh, push the algorithms around to make other people hear about us. Uh, Martha, where are you at? I, what do you plug? You in? can find me. You can find me everywhere on the internet at Magical Martha. Um, on over on Twitter, I have been tweeting a horror book recommendation every day. Um, for I started on October fifteenth. I'm going to keep going through Halloween. I write a newsletter, uh, which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Um, that is updating whenever I feel like it. Um, I'll probably do an aggregate uh, newsletter at the end of the month with all of my horror recommendations, just so you can have them all in one place. Um, otherwise, I post a lot of pictures of my guinea pigs, and I complain a lot about my job and people being mean to other people on Twitter. Um, Got a, uh, another think, podcast that you, you might host that you might want to play? Oh, you know, you know, sometimes. Mm. Um, Possibly like every same, other Wednesday? Yes, on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays, uh, Marin and I, uh, Marin is repeat guest of the show and Pete's lovely wife. Uh, she and I do a podcast called Love Ya, where we watch... Um, Netflix original teen rom-coms and dissect them and frequently talk about how we would fix them. Uh, for our next episode, we are celebrating having finished 10 episodes by doing a throwback. We will be watching um, 16 Candles. Very cool. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, politics and pop culture. Um, basically, the same thing these days, but lots of politics um, retweets because, you know, that's the world we live in. On our next episode, we are going to be talking about uh, the portrayals of Christianity in media and kind of specifically looking at ideas of grappling with crises of faith. Uh, but that is not a, a exclusive thing. That's just sort of one part of possibly many. Um, we're going to be joined by returning guest and friend of the show, Austin uh, Moore Gotch, who is assigning the uh, book version of Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Martha is assigning the M. Night Shyamalan movie Signs, and I am assigning the Martin Scorsese movie Silence. And that is going to do it for us this week. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you in two weeks, and until then... Class dismissed. Did you guys see the new Star Wars trailer? I no. just saw that it dropped. I haven't watched it yet. I recommend it. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> uh, have either of you seen Watchmen yet? No. Are you planning on it? No. Uh, yes. Probably. Okay. I'm in the same boat. I have not seen it. I am deeply planning on it. Um, but, yeah. There we go.